0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. We are going to continue to look at what I would call the most dangerous woman in the history of the world. And that's not hyperbole. That is not an exaggeration. That is a very serious statement. I want you to feel the weight of it. And hopefully as we continue today and even more so as we get into tomorrow, uh, you're going to see that reality. It is true. This woman is deadly. She is the mother of... Of deception. This is the woman whose lips drip with honey. She allures people into thinking that everything's going to be okay. They can drink from her cup, as we're going to talk about today, and nothing bad is going to happen. And so we're going to move on. And you know, let me preface today's message with the following Originally, I had planned to bring some really disturbing things to the table. Uh, things that are pretty radical, and we're not going to be able to do that today because there are just too many pieces that I've got to collect before we get to that point so that you understand what's going on, so that you understand what, what is going to be brought forth. So uh, we'll get to that drama next week, uh, but today we need to build on what we began last week, and, and I'll say what I said last week. I need you guys to retain everything we cover. You're going to need all these elements. They all fit together perfectly. All right, with that said, we have a lot to cover today. Revelation 17, verse 1. Let's dig into this. This is what we read. Is this monitor not working? That's okay. We'll, we'll roll, roll with it. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me. And, and, and one of the seven bulls of wrath Just to be clear, this is the angel with the seven, one of the seven bowls of wrath, came and talked with me, me as John, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. You know, one of the cool things that, I mean, take this in for a moment and recognize how radical this is. One of the seven last angels who's going to pour out the bowls of wrath is going to reveal to us today things about the harlot. The first thing that we're learned right here is the judgment. One of the most significant details that we're going to cover in regard to her period is what revelation or what this angel is going to reveal as how she is going to be judged. Very, very significant. But the other detail that we're given here, and I'll highlight this, is the following. This harlot sits on many waters. Obviously, she, the, the, the angel is using imagery, metaphors. What does this mean? Well, fortunately for us, when we jump to verse 15, the angel tells us exactly what he means by this. In verse 15, we read the following. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are people's multitudes, nations, and tongues. Interesting. Interesting. So now we understand what these waters are. There are peoples and nations. And the key thing is, is, what is the relationship between the harlot and these peoples and nations? Well, a key component to understanding the relationship is this. She sits on many waters. She is sitting on these waters. What does that signify? Now, just put this in its historical context. You think about it. In the first century, the mode of operation, the way, the way you got around, uh, camel, donkey, horse, right? What does the rider do? The rider sits on the horse, and from the bit to bridle to the reins, that rider does what? Manipulates, controls, and, 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 and dictates to this animal where the rider wants to go. That's what happens This is telling in regard to this relationship of this harlot with the nations. She manipulates, she controls, she lords over these nations. Very, very important. Verse 2 With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, again, here we are, we're given metaphors. He's working in metaphors. Obviously, he doesn't literally mean, hey, the king is coming to this actual mother of harlots and literally fornicating with her. These are metaphors. But again, what does that mean? Well, fortunately for us, this type of speech is reminiscent of the prophets. This is not foreign. In fact, I guarantee you, as John is listening to the angels speak to him, he's speaking in terms familiar to John. He knows exactly what is being communicated? And to help you appreciate this, I'm going to take you back to the prophets so you're just going to understand what it means that these peoples and nations and kings are fornicating. They're committed harlotry with the harlot. In Hosea, chapter 1, verse 2, we read the following. When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, um, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, For the land has committed great harlotry. Okay? So what does it mean that the land was committing harlotry? What does it mean uh, for the inhabitants of the land to fornicate with the harlot? It means this, by departing from the Lord. Do you understand what that means? Now we get a significant revelation in regard to what these people are doing. They have abandoned the ways of God. They've abandoned the ways of the Lord. They've abandoned his voice, his commandments, his Torah. Completely abandoned it. Jumping ahead, it says this. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God. Do you understand their deeds? They do not, in other words, there's no teshuvah. There's no repentance. There's no brokenness before God. There's no humility. There's no fear of God. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst. It's in their midst. And then it says this, and they do not know the Lord. These people that we see, these kings of the earth fornicating with the mother of harlots, they do not know the Lord. Now it's interesting, First John, what do we learn? First John chapter 2, verse 3, John tells us, now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments... That's how we know if we know him. He goes on in verse 4. He says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar. He's a liar. Okay, so now we're really getting some serious insight into what is going on here in verse 2, where the kings of the earth are committing fornication. The inhabitants of the earth are committing fornication with her. These are people that have rejected the law, the Torah of God. They've rejected his ways. They don't want to hear from God anymore. And you you look at this and, and what's being described and what this harlot is doing, how does she do this? How does she compel mankind, humanity, to walk away from God, to abandon, to reject their creator? Well, that's where the imagery of the wine comes in. The wine is very, very important piece of information. Think about wine. What does it do? loosens you up a bit, don't it, right? You drink a lot of it, now you start to say things you would not normally say if you were sober. You start to do things that you would not normally do sober. It impairs your judgment. Wine can be really, really deadly. Many, many people have woke up the next morning with shame, with guilt, and embarrassment totally petrified over their behavior and what other people are even telling them that they had done. All due to wine. It's a great intoxicator. Proverbs says this, and this is in regard to wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red. When it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly, at the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. What is this telling you? I mean, this is an amazing, and it fits right on top of this prophecy that the inhabitants of the world are being intoxicated with her wine. What is the wine doing? It's alluring. In other words, this is telling us this woman is pulling people in by deception. She presents herself as irresistible, beautiful. I mean, look at this. Don't look. It sparkles in the cup. It swirls around smoothly. And then it says, at last it bites like a serpent. You know, this is not talking about a hangover. When it bites like a serpent, that's not what it's talking about. We're talking about life altering hell here. It will take you down, your eyes will see strange things. You will open doors you should have never opened. This woman is totally deceptive. And I think about all of this, about what the book of Revelation is talking about in regard to this mother of harlots. And go back to the garden. Go back to the garden. Long before Eve ever ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did she do? This is so instrumental. She looked. She cast her gaze upon a tree she had never cast her gaze on before. She looked at it and she saw that it was beautiful. She looked at it and knew that it was good for food. And not just that, She had been convinced that it was able to make her wise. See, the harlot deceives and seduces and promises you to take you to places you have never been and to experience things you have never experienced. The problem is she'll take you to places you've never been and she will keep you longer than you want to stay. This is the problem. She is extremely deceptive. And if you think for one moment, you know, when we read that it, it's so easy for us to get caught in the trap. We read this stuff, and all we do is we cast this net of this harlot deceiving everybody that we consider to be the world. And here you have the church over here. It's nice and safe. It's, it's, it's all protected. Make no mistake. The harlot's walking right in. She has no compunction. She will walk right in the church and take the pulpit. And I'm going to tell you right now, she's already done it to many of the churches around. This is, where, well, this is what I mentioned last week. We're talking about a deception that if it were possible, the elect will be deceived. Yeshua warns us in Matthew 24, 24. I want to take you to Lamentations. We're going to feel this. In Lamentations two, fourteen. your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. Oh, they have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. Do you understand? This is These are prophets doing the will of the harlot. They are serving the mother of harlots. They themselves are drinking from the wine of her fornication. This is in the church. These are prophets of God in the church. And what do they not do? They will not uncover sin. They won't do it. They won't say the hard things. They won't tell the people what they need to hear. These people will tell the people what they want to hear, lest they offend. And we are seeing that all over the place. All over the place. To the point it has gotten so extreme, as you already know. So extreme that you have Christian pastors saying, justifying abortion. Christian pastors justifying abortion because if you, you know, we gotta love the mothers and, and the and they call it healthcare for women. I mean, it's nuts. They justify same-sex unions, same-sex marriages, same-sex relationships. They they are justifying these things. They're not uncovering the sins. They're not giving these people hope. They're not speaking truth and love to these people. It's a horrifying thought to me to know that the mother of harlots is literally amassing children in the church. That's happening. Witches are taking the pulpit. We have witches and warlocks in the pulpit right now. First Samuel fifteen twenty three says, Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. Do you understand? So if, if you have these children of the mother of harlots coming in, masquerading as ministers of righteousness, coming in, But the problem is, is they're teaching rebellion against the Lord. They are witches and warlocks that tell you you don't have to keep the commandments of God anymore, that it doesn't matter what God's word says anymore. Jesus did away with the word. He just, what they would typically say, Jesus did away with the law. Totally done. Even though Jesus himself said, do not think that I came to do away with the law. Don't do it. Obviously prophetic warning against these types of people, this kind of deception Jeremiah 28, 15. Then the prophet Yermiyahu said to Hananiah, the prophet, two prophets of God going toe-to-toe with one another. Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Do you understand how the mother of harlots gets everyone intoxicated? She gets them to trust the lie. She is bartering for the truth. She's negotiating with the inhabitants of the land. You set aside truth. You abandon truth. And I will give you the lie. And you can be with me. And I will make your dreams come true. And I will make promises that I won't keep. This is her. This is the mother of harlots. She will get you to trust in the lie. Verse 16, we read this. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will cast cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die. Why? And it's talking about Hananiah because you taught rebellion against the Lord. You're teaching rebellion. That means, I'm telling you, you don't have to do this. The words of Yeshua, you don't have to worry about it. It's kind of subjective You know, if you think it applies to you, that's okay. You can pick and choose what you want out of the scriptures. And if the mood catches you, go ahead. You're teaching rebellion against the Lord. This is this harlot. Isaiah 39, we read that this is a rebellious people, a lying children. Oh, children who will not hear the Torah of the Lord. These are the children who have a mother the mother of harlots these are her children these are ones who say i'm not going to listen to the torah i'm going to reject it i want nothing to do with it verse 10 we read who say to the seers do not see and to the prophets do not prophesy to us right things speak to us smooth things prophesy deceits please stop preaching the hard stuff we're sick and tired of hearing the conviction just make us feel good, would you? For once, it's hard enough to live in this world. I just want to feel good. This is, this is when the mother of harlots has broken down communities so that they only want to hear the things that are pleasing to the flesh. Going back to Jeremiah, they have also healed the herd of my people saying, slightly saying, peace, peace, shalom, shalom. When there is no peace, you know, Deuteronomy 29 gives us the same warning. Don't say to yourself, don't tell yourself you're going to have peace even though you walk according to the dictates of your own heart. You do those things in your own heart that your, that your fleshly heart is, is only gratified when you give into it. Don't do those things and tell yourself it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. To those who practice evil, it is not going to be okay. There is forgiveness. There is hope. There is mercy. There is grace to those who confess their sin and say, I'm sick and tired of this sin. I hate it. I despise it. Lord, take it from me. I humble myself before you. I hate this thing. That's, that's beautiful. There's hope. Verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? In other words, were they ashamed when, when they fornicated with the harlot? Was there any shame in drinking from her cup? No, no. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Why? Why don't these people know how to blush? I'll tell you. They're intoxicated. They're intoxicated. They're totally drunk. They're doing things they would not normally do if they were sober. If they had their wits, if they had clarity, spiritual clarity, they they wouldn't do these things. But now, and this is what alcohol does, it numbs you. It kills the pain. Of godly sorrow, which produces repentance and leads to salvation. It totally deadens it. They're drowning out the Lord. This is the wine that the harlot makes for the world. And if you wanna live, you wanna live in eternity, you won't go near this stuff. You'll stay away from this stuff. You'll you'll hold the line in this generation. Now, going back to Revelation, verse 4, let's learn more about this harlot. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. In other words, she's enveloped in great wealth. She is clothed with riches, total riches. She is the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. And we even further see this as look at what's in her hand. Having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of of fornication. It's interesting, we learn something about the wine here. The wine that intoxicates the world, it is housed in a golden cup. Again, symbolizing great wealth. Now I'm saying this, I'm making an emphasis on this because you're going to need this as we get into next week. These are details that are so critical, telling us so that we can identify the mother of harlots incredibly, incredibly wealthy. Now, second thing I want to mention here is the imagery that is being used here, again, is not something new. This is something we see in the prophets. And actually, what the prophets are saying is exactly what the angel is conveying to John. Exactly. Jeremiah 51, verse 7, we read, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. You got that? Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. The exact same thing we're reading in, in, in Revelation 17, exactly what we're reading in Jeremiah 51. I wish I had time to go through the whole chapter. We don't. I'm just going to stop right here. But you'll notice, and, and when I'll get into this, and I'll explain this a little bit more. But you'll notice right off the bat, the term Babylon. What you're going to find interesting as we continue on in Revelation, guess what the name of the mother of harlots is? Literally, Babylon. Mystery Babylon. That's her name. And this, the the, the prostitute, the whore of Babylon is holding this golden cup. And here we are in Jeremiah 51. We have the Lord holding the golden cup. Babylon is is a cup in his hand. Now you might say, Daniel, uh, that doesn't sound anything like what we're reading in Revelation. Because the harlot's holding the cup in Revelation, but here in Jeremiah, the Lord is, listen to me carefully, and I'll prove this to you. I'll show this. It's the same thing. No, the Lord is not the harlot, and the harlot is not the Lord. But you will understand the relationship that is happening here. Even in the rest of this passage, it will begin to play out. It says, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank what? His wine? No, her wine. Her wine. The wine of who? Babylon. Oh, the the very name of the mother of harlots. You understand? It's it's amazing that that the angel is using terminology and language that is consistent with the prophets because the prophets haven't expired. They're speaking. You want to understand Revelation? It ain't going to happen without the prophets. The Spirit of God has spoken through them. And I kid you not, that is the decoder to Revelation. We need this We need the prophets. We need the Tanakh. And so Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. And then it says this, therefore the nations are deranged. They're absolutely delusional. This is where the lie becomes the truth. The truth becomes the lie. This is where conspiracy becomes truth and truth becomes conspiracy. I want to take you to Romans 1. And I'm going to help you understand how it is that Jeremiah can say, well, the the Lord's kind of holding this cup. And then you go to Revelation, the harlot's holding this cup. You're going to understand what that means. Because all that means is that the Lord's will is being done. And I'll show you this. Romans 1, verse 24. This is what we read. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. He's giving them up. He's taking his hands off the ring. Because God didn't create us as robots. He's not going to force you to love him. He's already done more than what he needed to do to show and prove his love to us. It is is on us. So he's not created robots. You know what? He's going to give them up to uncleanness and the lust of their flesh to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Why? Because I read in scripture, God will never leave me or forsake me. Why would God do this? Why will God take and give you over to your sins? This is why, because they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. You see a reoccurring theme here? The harlot will barter for the truth. She wants to negotiate with you to give up the truth and to receive her lie. This This is the deal. And when that happens, it's over. It is over and worshiped and served the creature. And you just think about our context in Revelation. Worship and serve the beast rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. He's giving them over. And that's why Jeremiah can say Babylon was a golden cup in his hand, okay, by which the inhabitants, they become drunk. The nations become drunk by Because he gives them over to, because they've rejected his Torah, they've rejected his word, they've rejected all of it. So he gives them up to vile passions. Now listen to this, because this is so significant to Bible prophecy. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Wait a second. When God's holding that golden cup, when the harlot is holding that golden cup and the people are becoming intoxicated, there is a specific sin you should be looking for that will sweep through society. And that is same-sex relationships. It will explode. If the harlot has risen up in our generation... And the inhabitants are drinking from her cup as we speak. This is a sin that you will see in your society. Isn't that interesting? Because it's completely swept through this nation. It has swept through the world. That is mind-blowing. And then we continue in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they've had enough. It's amazing some of the some of the, even the, the testimonies that have been sent to me and I won't call them testimonies but just you know people explaining why they don't want to walk with God. You hear these explanations they don't want God in their head. They don't want God in their heart. Why? Because it's telling them the right way to walk in it and no they want to go drink from the wine of the harlot. They want what she has to offer. And God is prohibiting that. He cries out. He brings conviction. And they've had enough. So they drive God out of their heart and their mind. So that you can become intoxicated. And when you do that, what, what happens? Again, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. You want to drive them out of your schools? You want to drive them out of your government? You want to drive them out of your home? This is what you get. God will let go. He will give you over to a totally debased mind. And guess what? Your judgment is going to be completely impaired as you make your steps going to hell. Going back to Revelation, verse 5. And on her forehead, which is interesting. This is obviously, we read about a lot gets put on there. You know, the mark of the beast is on your forehead or on your right hand. On her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great. We're given her name. There's no debate here. This is her name. It is Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. This harlot, I mentioned this last week, this harlot is tied directly to Nineveh. The harlot is tied directly to Babylon. These two cities represent pure evil. Pure evil, a perfect symbol for this woman. And in the days of Jeremiah, Babylon was the source of all corruption. A global superpower, infecting and perverting the world. Verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. Now, marturon, when you look at this in the Greek, martyrs, I want you to understand, it means eyewitnesses. Okay, you got the blood of the saints, you got two groups here. The blood of the saints on one hand, you got the blood of the eyewitnesses of Yeshua. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. You know what's amazing to me is up to this point, we've been reading how this woman intoxicates the world and now we learn she's intoxicated. It's a very different wine, though that she's intoxicated with. She's intoxicated with the blood of the saints. Now, what does this tell you? Drunk on the blood of the, When someone becomes drunk, they're in excess of alcohol. They took on way too much. That's why they're drunk. What does it tell you? It te- it's telling you what this is. This is a major bloodbath of Christians getting slaughtered. Innumerable. This is not a 50, 100, 200, 2,000 Christians getting slaughtered. She is intoxicated with the blood of the saints. Now, we don't know the number. We're not told the number. God, will know, God knows the number even now. But one thing that we do know from reading this prophecy it isn't going to be anything like it that ever happened in the world. She's completely intoxicated on the blood of the saints. It is absolutely awful. Now, in looking at this passage, we learn something that is very important, and I think it's the given. The harlot, what are her feelings towards the church? What are her feelings towards those who love Yeshua with all their heart? She hates them. Do you understand? If, if the harlot is in fact existing, let's just say, in our generation for a moment... Let's just say she's pouring out her wine. And let's just say evidence of that is starting to flow throughout society as same-sex relationships and marriages totally explode. One of the other things you must see if this harlot is active is hatred towards the Christian church. Persecution will rise. It is an absolute fundamental guarantee. The church... Does everything in opposition to the harlot. The agendas couldn't be farther apart. And so they're not conducive to one another. And so there seriously will be division. There will be chaos. There will be hatred. There'll be all these things. These are the things you can expect if the harlot's alive and well. And this goes back to Revelation 12. And we read this passage. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And the woman here is not the harlot. This is Israel. This is Israel. The dragon was enraged with Israel, the woman, and went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Oh, who do what? Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Messiah Yeshua. This is who the harlot hates. She will not tolerate any of you that will refuse to compromise the commandments of God or will not shrink back and stop confessing the name of Yeshua. She won't tolerate you confessing his holy name. She will not. It's amazing. These are the attributes, this is the character of the righteous, of the saints. And in the very next chapter then it says, and the saints are literally given over to the hand of the beast so that the beast could overcome them. A great slaughter. A great slaughter. I wanna take you to 1 Kings 18 because I can't talk about the mother of harlots without bringing a literal example to the table. And that is Jezebel. I mean, she is the epitome. She embodies this whole idea of the mother of harlots. And again, all of these pieces of the puzzle come together and we get a true understanding of who this harlot is, a true identity, in 1 Kings eighteen four, we read, And so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. What is she? She does what the mother of harlots does. She went after the men that would not compromise their faith in God. Men who were in true relationship with the living God. Men who read his word. Men who were willing to listen to his word. Men that bent the knee to worship the Lord God of Israel. These were titans of the faith, and Jezebel moved to take them out. The spirit of the mother of harlots rested upon her. She's the epitome. Jumping ahead, 1 Kings 21, verse 25, but there was no one like Ahab, the king of Israel. He's a king. And isn't it interesting, you know, what we read in Revelation that she causes the kings of the earth to fornicate with her. Well, get this. Here we have King Ahab, king of Israel, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Why? Look at the history of Israel. This makes no sense. You shouldn't be doing this. Your forefathers received covenant at Mount Sinai. It was a supernatural experience. From the time the blood of the lamb was shed in Egypt to the time you were brought into the promised land, which he promised you. Why is this guy sold himself to do evil? Check this out. Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. This is what the mother of harlots will do. She stirs up nations and peoples. And listen to me, she stirs up the church to commit iniquity, to commit sin. She will, this, this is a woman that moved this king. She compelled him, she seduced him. Absolutely demonic, very persuasive, very manipulative. 2 Kings 9.22, check this out. Now, it happened when Joram, the son of Ahab, okay, the apple didn't fall far from the tree here, Joram saw Jehu, who God rose up so that he could clean house, that he said, is it peace, Jehu? So Jehu answered, what peace as long as the harlotries of your mother, Jezebel, and her witchcraft are so many? Do you understand something? When the mother of harlots comes into town and people start drinking and sipping from her cup, it's just like I said before, there will be no peace. It will be chaos. It will be division. It will be persecution. There will be hatred. There will be intense war. This is what is coming. If, in fact, the mother of harlots is with us today, if what we're reading in Revelation is relevant for us today. One other thing that I think is worth mentioning here, and this is just a side note, but you look at this, this mother Jezebel and her witchcraft, Keshav, in Hebrew. This is what is known as the law of first mention. I know many of you understand that. This is the first time in Scripture Keshav is ever brought, oh, and it's brought with Jezebel, the sorcery and witchcraft. You know the last time it's mentioned? We covered it last week in Nahum. Nahum 3 4, in regard to this harlot that we read about. This mistress of witchcraft, of keshif. It's only found a couple times in scripture. The first time it's found with Jezebel, the last time it's found in Nineveh with this woman, this harlot, what we would call the mother of harlots. You think that's a coincidence? This is not a coincidence. The stuff ties together. Pretty incredible. With that said, we're going to go to Revelation 2. We're going to listen to Yeshua's teachings. This is to the church at Thyatira, okay? I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. He's speaking to the church. And as far as I can tell, man, would I be honored to have a sheet, a bio that looked like that? It would be an honor. May God say these things to Corner Fringe Ministries. To those who join us online, we want to hear that. Yeah, we have love, we have works, we have service, we have faith, we have faith. Man, this, this is as good as it gets. But hold on. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop. Yeshua goes on and says this. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Why? Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Now, this goes back to what I'm telling you, that this harlot, the mother of harlots, has no compunction about walking into a church and going up and taking the pulpit and proclaiming they love Jesus. That This woman is saying, I'm a prophetess. I got the download from Jesus himself. I'm in a church that worships Jesus. Listen to me, you guys. The Lord has spoken to me. I have a word for you. What is that word? Well, this Jezebel, she teaches and seduces my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. See, it's okay. Now, I want you to understand something as we're looking at this. This is the mother of harlots, magnus opus. Magnum opus. The most important work of the mother of harlots is right here. She wants to defile the temple of God. If you had this idea that the mother of Harlots is like there's some massive disconnect between the church and, and the world, that's delusional. Her magnum opus is to come into the church and defile the temple. That was Antiochus's work. We're, we're coming up on Hanukkah, right? That was his greatest moment where he could get into the temple of God and totally defile it. It's absolute it's pure demonic behavior. It's from the pit of hell. And she is in the church. Jezebel is in the mother of harlots is in the church and telling the people, convincing, it's okay if you have same-sex relationships. It's okay. Now, again, I'm telling you, if you had the mother of harlots present with you, you would see these things, even in the church. And do we see these things today? You know, it's, you know don't, don't worry about it. You, you only look at a little porn. It's just a couple minutes. That's You know what? everybody's doing it. Everybody's like, don't worry about it. And your little mentor throws his arm around you and said, don't sweat it. Rather than telling him, you're going to hell, brother. You're going to hell. You get it right. You encourage him. You love with him. You stand by his side. You work through it with him. You don't abandon him. You pray with him. You fast with him. But does anybody believe in hell anymore? It's like, no matter what you do, you're not going to go to hell, apparently, said the mother of harlots. This is the reality. And there's all these different things. Oh, you, you, you want to you know, uh, explore your sexuality? You want to have sex outside of marriage? I Pick your poison of immorality. It's all vile, and it all ends to the same place, the lake of fire. This is not okay, people. If you're hearing any other voice in your head... It is a lie. This woman is negotiating for you to lay the truth aside and buy the lie that you will surely not die. You cannot listen to this mother of harlots. She is deceptive. Oh, yeah, and she'll promise you all the pleasure you can imagine that you can conjure up in your head. In this carnival of debauchery, she will make promise after promise, and she'll lead you to your death. And look at the other thing here. Eat things sacrificed to idols. There's only two, there's, these are the only two sins that where you sin against your body. Paul says every sin that a man commits outside is outside his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The only thing that's coming directly into your temple by your own hand is defiled food. Unclean food. But we're told today doesn't matter. We're told by men, not by Jesus, not by Yeshua. We're told by men, oh, Jesus waved this magical wand, said everything's clean, despite his own words, despite what the Torah says. Don't don't bother with that. Oh, you didn't know? The whole Old Testament's done with. It doesn't even matter. Do you see the delusion? Mass delusion. Protect the temple of God. Now, this is Yeshua's words. Yeshua's coming after his own church that has all these beautiful things in it, but you're not allowed to have the mother of harlots teaching garbage can't happen and Yeshua finishes up with this he says indeed I will cast her into a sickbed oh and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation you want to commit adultery you want to fornicate with the mother of harlots you're going to experience tribulation now it is not a coincidence that this statement is made in the book of Revelation because all the people we read about in Revelation that are committing fornication with them why are the bulls of wrath coming out They're coming out because they're fornicating with her. And the inhabitants are not turning away from their sin. They keep buying the lie. Going back to Revelation 17, we're going to jump to verse 3 here. We skipped over it earlier, but we're going to go back. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, keep in mind, verse 2, she was sitting on waters. Verse three, we have the imagery of her sitting on a beast, but in essence, the same idea is being conveyed. She's sitting on nations and peoples and kings, okay? And then it goes on, she's sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemies. Oh, having seven heads and 10 horns. We're not gonna dig into the beast. I wanna keep her focus on the harlot, on the woman, the mother of harlots. Uh, we would have to spend months on this and I'm just not gonna do it, but I have a reason for bringing you here. You need to understand the relationship that exists between her and the seven heads and the ten horns. There's a relationship, and what is she doing? She is sitting on the beast. She is controlling it, moving it where she wants it to go. But something happens. Check this out. In verse 16, we read this. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot and make her desolate and naked naked. They will eat her flesh and they will burn her with fire. That's interesting. Something happens. She was riding on the beast. Things were copacetic. She's controlling. She's manipulating. But then all of a sudden, some kings are going to turn on her. This is a huge aspect to understanding and identifying who's the harlot. They're going to betray her. They're going to take her down because God has put it in their heart. He wants to take her down. She's going to be judged. And look at this. Over here, it says, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate, naked, and they will eat her flesh. Do you know what happened to Jezebel? After she was thrown over the wall, landed, blood splattered all over the wall and over the animals, Jehu goes away, he sends a servant back and says, bury her, she's the daughter of a king. The guy goes back, he's like, there's nothing left. Uh, there's a skull, there's some hands, and there's feet. The dogs ripped her to shreds. They ate her flesh. This what happens to the mother of harlots. It's, it's not a coincidence that we see that. And then it says, burn her with fire. That is a harlot's payment. When, when, when Judah thought that his uh, daughter-in-law had committed harlotry, not realizing he was the problem. When he thought that, what did he say? Let her be brought out and Burned because that's the payment of a harlot. Leviticus 21 talks about, hey, if, a, if, a, if the daughter of a priest plays the harlot in his house, bring her out and let her be burned. Another significant detail. All these are significant details in regard to identifying this harlot. Moving to verse 18. And the woman whom you saw, oh, get this, is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. <laughs> this is one of those moments, all the light bulbs go off. This woman is a city. This woman that we've been talking about this entire time, who completely pollutes and infects the world that sits on kingdoms and nations and peoples, they're committing fornication. Oh, it's a city. Oh, and we were given a name of that city, weren't we? Babylon. Babylon. But this is where things begin to get interesting. Babylon is a symbol, it's symbolic, and most scholars look at this and recognize, yeah, this is being used symbolically. And a lot of people believe that it actually is Rome, that it's Rome. And I'm going to tell you, when you look at history, and and I'm I'm only going to give you part of what I need to tell you today, because I'm going to save the rest for next week. I have a lot to talk about in regard to Bible prophecy. There are some certain things that you need to appreciate. But for today, I'm just going to give you a nugget. Many scholars look back and they say, you know, looking at the first, second, third century, if you were a Christian living in that time period, there was no debate in your mind. It is no question. Rome was what's exactly what John or what John's being shown in the book of Revelation. It totally fits the bill. This harlot who's polluting the world. I want to share a little bit of church history with you. In fact, it's the earliest attestation to the crucifixion of Yeshua outside of biblical documents. This comes to us not by Christian sources. This has nothing to do with Christian sources. This is secular history brought to us by the Roman historian Tacitus. We're going to go through this And I'm setting this up for next week. We're going to go through some things here. Now, Tacitus, he was from the first century. And he gives us some incredible revelation on what happened in Rome at the great, what is known as the great fire of Rome in in AD 64. But along the way, there are certain details here that we need. And so I'm going to read this discourse to you. This is what Tacitus says. He says, but all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor, the emperor being spoken of here is none other than Nero. Now, can, a couple of things about Nero I think you'll appreciate here. Uh, Nero is one of those ones, and that's why you, I mean, you can go research it on your own, but Nero is one of the rare guys that in multiple languages, his name adds up to 666, Okay. He was seen as an Antichrist figure. And I'll tell you, whether you believe he was the fulfillment of the Antichrist in Revelation or not, move that aside. Just as Antiochus Epiphanes was an Antichrist, just as Nimrod was an Antichrist, I assure you, Nero was an Antichrist. You'll see that just in this secular discourse. He's an Antichrist figure, okay? Now listen, so... By all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor and the propitiations of the gods, talking about foreign gods, did not banish the sinister belief that the conflagration was the result of an order. In other words, the great fire of Rome, the inhabitants of Rome believed Nero ordered it. They believed he was so wicked and so corrupt, this guy burned most of the city down, countless bodies. This this is a city that burned... For six days straight. Six days straight. And then only to go out and, you know, a lot of people will say, well, actually technically burned nine because it it, it magically rekindled. Now, what is one of the things that we read about? We just read it and regarded the harlot. What was one of the things that's going to happen to her? Burned by fire. fire. Okay? And so there's this great, this is, in fact, this fire is so renowned. It's talked about today. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Isn't that interesting? Demonized the church. That's what you would expect the Antichrist to do. That's what you expect the mother of harlots to do if, in fact, people are drinking from her cup at that time. Everything is plain. I mean, it is really mind blowing. And then get this, Christus, Christ, in other words, from whom the name had its origin, we're called Christians because of Christ, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus, or Pontius Pilate. Okay, this is secular history, recording the crucifixion of our Lord. Can't make this stuff up, right? And a most mischievous superstition... Meaning, they believed he rose from the dead. And they're calling it, and Tacitus calls it a mischievous superstition. Thus, check for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. Listen to how he describes Rome. Let me see, become popular. Okay, got it. Where all the things hideous and shameful. From every part of the world, find their center and become popular. Let that sink in. Do you know what we're going to see next week? And I'll just preemptively tell you. Next week, we are going to see that one of the attributes of the beast, one of the the, the mother of harlots, I should say, one of the key attributes is that she is recognized to be the source of all evil, a cage for every unclean bird, a, a prison for demonic spirits. Listen to Tacitus' words. Listen to these words. Every hideous and shameful thing from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Rum. And so the point, you know, I make it a point here is that if you're living in the first, second, third century, and especially if you're a preterist today, it's, it's a, this is a case closed deal. You see how this was literally unfolded. You see how this was fulfilled. Accordingly, an arrest was first made. Of all who pleaded guilty, then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. <laughs> Pay attention. The spirit of Antichrist is moving in the first century, demonizing the Christians and actually saying, this is, this is key, they actually say it's, it's a religion of hate. It's a religion of hate. Man, you better take this in. Take it all in. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths, covered with the skins of beasts. These are Christians. They were torn by dogs and perished, and they were nailed to crosses and were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Can you say unimaginable persecution coming upon them that they had not experienced Till that day. So, what I'm saying is this: You look at everything. You 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 look at it all. The the Christians that living in the first, second, third century, uh, man, you were living the Bible. You were living Bible prophecy. Whether or not you believe that it's the final episode and what's gonna be, what's gonna happen right at the end of the age, you cannot debate the fact that this is the template. Okay, as we get into next week, this is where it's going to get crazy. All right, so I'll leave you with that bit of craziness.